0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world.
1: It is great to be here this morning. I'm grateful to Andrew for the introduction and Megan, and just great for the invitation. And I wanted to uh, be part of this series on the Psalms. And I want to talk to you this morning about Psalm 13, because it is an important psalm, it's a vital psalm, I've learned a lot, and I hope you will be blessed by it as well. Now there was a guy in my unit block, uh, he was an optimistic sort of guy, didn't matter what time I went down to see him, I'd say, how are you going, and he would say, Never better. I mean, he just looked as the glass was half full all the time and never half empty, and sometimes life is like that. I mean, it's blue sky, it's red roses, it's cool breezes, it's just soft, warm sunshine, and when that happens, our response should be, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, but sometimes, Sometimes not life is not like that. Sometimes life has its downturns. Sometimes life kicks us in the guts and we just feel it just keeps on kicking and we feel that God that we love and we worship is just not there. <clears throat> Sometimes we think he's abandoned us. You can imagine a woman that we knew quite well many years ago. She was married to a husband who was a functioning alcoholic. He had a very good job during the week. Uh, But every weekend, I mean every weekend, and I mean for all the weekend, he would drink and he would abuse her. Now, it wasn't physical abuse. He never laid a finger on it. But he would give her the most vile, degrading, verbal abuse. And it just never, ever stopped. Now, she loved her husband. She didn't want a divorce. She was reluctant to leave him. But in her own heart, she's thinking, how long can I put up with this pain, with this sort of anger? I can think of another guy I knew quite well, very well. And everywhere around him, virtually every relative that he had in his close proximity was struck down with a lingering, debilitating disease. In the time that I knew him, and it was quite a long time, there was his mother, his mother-in-law. His wife, who was a competent woman, was struck down and gave up work and never worked again. Both his daughters were quite sick. One was particularly sick with a dreadful disease. His brothers, and there were a number of brothers, got sick, and very, very badly. That disease got passed through to other fa- the next generation, And so you can imagine as he looks around, everybody is in pain. And he's thinking, how long? Just how long is this going to go on? How long can I put up with this? Or you're a young couple and you've just got married. And you're living with your in-laws, trying to save money for the house. And you've got this uh, deposit in your mind, how much you will need. And you think that interest rates are low, but then suddenly... COVID finishes, or sort of, and the interest rate starts going up and up and up, and you're faced with the prospect of living with your in-laws forever <laughs> and ever. <coughs> and they're getting stressed, and you are getting stressed, and the new marriage is getting stressed, and you're thinking, how long, how can this be happening? How long? Or <coughs> well, you're old, and this is starting to get to me. <coughs> you're getting old. <coughs> and You know, things are going wrong. And all your life seems to be going from the chemist to the specialist to the doctor to the, to whatever. And you have the old age nurse coming in to help you, and there are needles and pills, and you're starting to get pain, back pain, and other, all sorts of pain. And the, the adage, old age is not for sissies, starts to become really, really real for you. And you are thinking, how long can I do this? How long? or you've experienced the worst of COVID, and you've experienced the lockdowns, and your mental health is a bit shot. And even worse, you haven't just got COVID and got over it like I have. You've got long COVID, and it seems to linger with you. And you pick up the newspapers and the things like that, and you see there are new strains on the horizon, and it gives you the heebie-jeebies, and you think, how long is this going to go on? And all of this is in beautiful, wealthy, sunny Australia. Just imagine that you're in the Ukraine and one day you wake up and a brutal dictator has invaded your country and your city has been smashed and you're living in a cellar and there's no electricity and there's no water. and your mother and father have been killed and your husband is off at the front and you haven't seen him for two months and you've got three little kids to look after and if you stick your nose above ground, you're likely to get a rocket and you think, how can this be happening? How long do I have to put up with it? Or worse, if there is worse. You live in one of the countries of the world and there are 39 of them, at least, where being a follower of Jesus is a very, very dangerous thing where you are denied advancement, you are belittled, you're oppressed, and if you acknowledge Jesus publicly, let alone try and tell anybody else about Jesus, you could be beaten, tortured, jailed, imprisoned, or even put to death, and you love Jesus. But you think, how long is this situation going to go on? Now... As I was thinking about this, you might say, how do you respond? Well, you might respond with a little bit of positive psychology. And a few years ago, uh, uh, there was a guy, many years ago, there was a guy called Bobby McFerrin, who put out a a song that was quite popular back in the day, called Don't Worry, Be Happy. And I thought, that kept rattling through my ancient brain, but I thought, that's too old to play. But I found there is a great new groovy version out. Just in the last couple of years, year or so, by a German group, would you believe, singing in English, called the Baseballers. So let's just have a little bit of the Baseballers' answer to this. We play. Okay, thank you. That clip is just an old man's attempt to be groovy and cool and connect with you. However... Thank you, thank you. However, I don't know, sometimes a bit of positive psychology might be a good thing and looking on the sunny side of life might be a good thing. However, if you're in a really, really dark pit if, if the gloom is surrounding you, if, if depression is really, really there, I'm not sure how much don't worry, be happy is really going to help. I mean, if you are, say, fighting with this guy, this guy, I think, was going to come up, his name is Oleg uh, o- Alexander Yusik. He's actually the Ukrainian world boxing champion. <clears throat> and you imagine you're going to duke it out with Oleg, and he hits you on the jaw and he knocks you into the middle of next week, and you wake up in the middle of intensive care, and said, and, and the nurse comes along and says, don't worry, be happy. Is that going to help? Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but there are other, all sorts of terrible ways in which we try to cope. Uh, we knew a guy in Wollongong, Helen knew him very, very well, and he used to cut himself in, in, the, in the arms and in the body. And Helen asked him, why why do you cut yourself like that? And he said that he was feeling so much pain inside that he wanted the outside to match what he was feeling inside. Or there is the way in which people in great distress just look for some sort of temporary oblivion. So they get into drugs and they get some mind-altering substance to take it away. Or they get onto Tinder and it's just one sexual experience after another. And it's just for the moment. It's it's just to take that agony away just for the moment. Or, Or there is a descent into bitterness. You know, emotionally you sort of dry up. You switch off. You descend into yourself you become a psychological prune, you become some sort of constipated personality that just oozes misery onto yourself, onto everybody else. And of course, tragically, there are some who would go to a more permanent, lethal solution. You see, these things are just not pinpricks on an ordinary life. For some people, it's sustained assaults on our psyche that seem to go on and on and on, If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you feel that God has deserted you. You feel that God has abandoned you. You think that you wonder if God is there at all. And sometimes life is like that. It feels like you're in a deep, dark pit. And the pit's got ice-cold water in the bottom. And you're standing in the bottom of the pit. And there are things nibbling at your feet. And it doesn't stop. And you think, ah, how long? How long can I do this? How long will this never end? I mean, have you ever known such an experience? I haven't been quite that bad at all. But as a young man, I had a good life. I was raised in a good home. I did reasonably well at uni. And I got married to Helen, and that was great. And then I trained for the Anglican ministry, and I got ordained and I went out to my first position, a curate, those they call them, a trainee minister, and it seemed to be going pretty well, and then I was given the prospect of my own church, and I was gonna do stuff for the Lord, and then suddenly it all went wrong. I mean, in 24 hours, in one day, uh, I was done. I resigned. It wasn't for any moral failing or anything like that, but I got onto the minister's blacklist, Do not employ. My card was marked. Old friends broke off. Old supporters dropped me like a hot potato. Suddenly, I was unemployed. I had Helen and four little kids, and I was living with my in-laws, and that was pretty scary. And for six years, I I licked my wounds, and they were nice in-laws. And and Andrew, I want to tell you how bad it got for me. How bad, how much in the pits I went. I went to a Baptist church. I mean, (laughs) heck... Pretty bad, isn't it? Pretty bad. (laughs) I didn't even say how long because I just thought it was a life sentence that I was done, dusted, and finished, and all my dreams and all my plans of being a minister of the gospel and running a great church and preaching the word just evaporated. So, how do you respond when you're in the pit? How how do you finish? Do you blame God? Do you complain about God? Do you deny God? Do you be calm and carry on? Do you sing, don't worry, be happy? Do you just have a stiff upper lip and bottle it all up? Do you yell and scream and throw things and kick the cat and break the furniture? Do you grin and bear it? And how do you do it as a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, there is a godly way to respond. It's godly, it's bold, it's gutsy, and it's in the Bible. The answer is you can lament. Lament is the key word. And I want you to look at a lament this morning. I want you to look at Psalm 13. And this is what it says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes, lest I sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. You see... Psalm 13, it's a lament, it's a cry of pain. It's the way you can talk to God when life absolutely sucks. And it's one of the reasons why we should read the Bible and know the Bible and let the Bible minister to us because it's the great book of pastoral care and if we don't read it, we not only miss out on its goodness but we can respond in very, very dangerous and damaging ways we can use ungodly things that will cripple us. We can use rude language. We can lash out at people, especially those we love. We can blame those around us. We can do ourselves long-term damage. Now, the Bible has a lot of laments. There are about 60 of them. In fact, there is a whole book of the Bible called Lamentation where the writer Jeremiah agonises over the fall, the catastrophic fall of Jerusalem. And these laments have a general structure. They're not carbon copies. I don't want you to hear that. But they've got a general structure. And there is a general flow in laments. And Psalm 13 makes it very easy to see because it's six verses. It's nice and short. Some of them are much longer. And Psalm 13 is a psalm of King David. Now, David was a man who loved God, but he had enemies, he had his heights, and he had his lows. We do not know why he wrote this particular psalm. We don't know the particular situation that allowed him to be in it. But he was in so much trouble in his life one way or another, one of those instances gave rise to this particular psalm and it prompted it. Well, imagine you are in the pit. You're down there, you're at the bottom, life is low. This psalm has at least three steps out of it. I'm going to use three. Go to the books, they might give you four, but I'm going to use three. Your problems won't necessarily vanish, vanish, but basically you change your focus. Your spirit soars as you lift your heart and your mind off your problems, off your pain, off your agony, And you start to gaze and focus upon the God and his promises and his character and his majesty. And I want to use the stepladder here to give you some sort of idea. Psalm 13, as I said, can be broken up into three bits. And the first bit, you can state your complaint to God. You don't complain about God to other people. You go straight to God himself. So, you state your complaint. So, you're down at the bottom. You're down at the bottom of the ladder. Okay. And so, you are stating your complaint. Hope this sticks. <coughs> and this is what he says, right? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day, have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over thee? You see, this is not playing around. This is vital. This is urgent. This is intense. This is gut-wrenching. This is not pious, wishy-washy talk. This is desperately grabbing onto God in prayer. You are not forsaking God. You're not giving up on God, you call him Lord, he is your Lord, you're addressing him. You say, how long, O Lord, and it's passionate. Four times in these two verses, David calls out, how long, how long, how long, how long? He's in emotional turmoil. His mind is racing. His heart is beating. It never seems to stop. It goes on and goes on, and there's no relief. He feels that God has forgotten him. He feels that God has given up on him. God promised to be with him, but now he's alone. He's bereft. Nobody cares except his enemies. And his enemies, well, they're partying. They're screaming at him. They're saying, look at this loser. You're an idiot, David. You're going down. We're going to do you in, and we're going to be partying when it happens. That's what David is feeling. <clears throat> this is like the step ladder. You're on, in the pit. You're on the bottom rung, and when that happens, you state your complaint. But then you start to move up, to, up the ladder. You're in this emotional and spiritual pit. You're cut off from your friends. You're seemingly cut off from God. You're despised by enemies, but you don't stay there. Your recovery starts when you start moving off the ladder and start taking your gaze off yourself, off your pain, off your agony, and start putting them onto God and looking to God. Now, you see, you'll never get this in movies. You know, you you can almost write your script on it. I just wonder, can they ever be a little bit more creative than to have a a character in pain and in suffering, and he's used to say, I used to grow up going to Sunday school, but I gave up all that stuff anymore, or I was brought up in a religious home, but I gave that all up, or I used to believe in God, but now I'm an atheist, yeah, you can almost write your script by it, can't you? That, that's all they seem to know. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a better way. There is a better way for you when life is awful, when you haven't lost your faith and trust in God, but life just seems intolerable, and God at that moment appears to you to be not there. And so what you do is you cry out to help from God, and that's the second the second rung of the ladder. (laughs) You start moving up the ladder and you start crying out boldly for help. This is what he says. Verse 3, "'Look on me and answer me, Lord my God.' Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. You see, this is desperate. This is breathtaking. Can you feel the boldness? There is an effrontery about this. Can you talk to God like this? And it springs out of the fact that you're absolutely at at your wit's end. You're at the end of your tether. You're emotionally done. The the pressure just piles up and piles up, and so you lose it. I mean, you've probably seen somebody lose it. We've all lost it at one stage. And when you lose it, you drop all shades of politeness and manners. You don't sugarcoat things. You don't gild the lily. What comes out is just raw emotion. Lord God, help me. Help me. Do something. I can't take it anymore. It's only you can do it. You're crying out to God. You are clinging to God because you know that only he can help and deep in your soul, only he can do things for you. And then you move up the ladder one more time. That next thing is the, is the end of the lament. You praise God with confidence. The psalm goes on, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good for me. You see what you do in a lament? You get real. You state your complaint. You cry out in agony. You boldly call for an answer. You desperately plead for relief. But it's all done in a framework of faith and trust in God. You never give up on him because you know deep, deep down he never gives up on you. You're like the little child screaming out to the parent that you love. And you see what's happening here. You take your eyes off yourself, off your pain, off your agony, off your misery, and you focus them on God, on God, your maker. You concentrate on his character and on his love and on his salvation and on his mercy and the fact that he does not forget his people. And when you do, your heart starts to skip a beat. It rejoices. You think about the fact that you're a sinner. You think about the fact that God, out of his sheer love and mercy and kindness and grace, reached out and the joy of that and the excitement of that, when you grasp it, it just bubbles to the surface. And in the midst of your pain, and you are not denying your pain, you start pondering the blessings of God. Now, let me just pause. You might be thinking, as I would be thinking, can you really do this? Can you really speak to God so boldly? Can you approach God in this fashion? It almost seems blasphemous to be talking to God in this way. Yet, not only does King David do it, but the Lord Jesus does it on the very extremity of his life, on the cross in his absolute desolation of soul, Jesus cries out in the words that would have come directly out of his mouth, not in translation, Eloi, Eloi, lama, sabaxani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And it is a direct quote, it is a direct quote from Psalm 22, verse 1, And Psalm 22 is a lament. And not only is it a lament, it's a lament in precisely the same form as this. It's just the same form as Psalm 13, except it's longer, and so we don't see the structure quite as easily as we do when we read Psalm 13. (laughs) You see, in Psalm 22, there is this cry of abandonment, the, why have you forsaken me? And then there is, and that goes on for 18 verses, not just two in Psalm 22, but 18. And in Psalm 22, it starts again at 19, and there is this cry boldly for help, where Psalm 22, verse 19 says, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly and help me. It's short, only three verses. And then the psalm finishes off, by going to the top of the ladder, praising God. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. That's verse 22. And this goes on for another eight verses until the psalm finishes by declaring the praise of future generations. They will declare the righteousness, his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. It's precisely the same as in Psalm 13. It's just because it's longer, you don't see the skeleton quite as easily. Now, Jesus knew the Old Testament. Jesus was completely steeped in the Psalms. He understood the laments. And so when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not a cry of unbelief, but it's the Son calling out to the Father in his agony, quoting from the psalm as a whole, which is a lament of faith, because Jesus knows where this psalm is going. It's no accident that he quotes it. Jesus, in his initial initial cry, sums up the entire theological thrust of the psalm and offers that up to the Father. And you can consider why he is so desolate. Here is the divine Son of God, who since eternity has been in lockstep with his heavenly Father, not merely experiencing excruciating suffering, but even worse, taking upon himself my sin, your sin, and the sin of the whole world. And there is this burden of sin, there is this self-identification with sinners that provides this sense of desolation to which this cry gives its voice. In these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see how truly, truly, truly awful sin is and how greatly the love of God will go to atone for it. Is there anything that you or I could experience that would be worse than the Son of God stripped naked in agony on a cross, taking upon himself all our sin, all our shame, and all our degradation. Well, how does this psalm speak to you? In every congregation, there are men and women who feel that the sky has fallen in, You're in a deep, dark pit. The water is deep, the water is dank, it's cold, there seems to be no way out. You seem to have been treading water forever, and you don't know how long you can do. In fact, you're in the pit, you want to kick and scream, you want to bellow like a wounded bull, and that might be you right now. When life gets really tough, the godly man, the godly woman, can lament. But the lament is never a descent in self-pity. It's never an introverted whinge. It's not wallowing in the trough of your own misery. It's not a flight into unbelief. To lament, (coughs) it's not just complaining about God. To lament is to climb the ladder. (coughs) It's to look around the pit and acknowledge your desolation. To cry out boldly to God and state your complaint. How long? (coughs) How long? How long? How long? (coughs) And then to start climbing the ladder, you cry boldly for help. Look on me. Answer me. Help me, Lord my God. And you keep on climbing. And you express your praise and your confidence in the God who has made you, who has loved you, who has placed you a little bit lower than the angels, who has tasted death from you. And you reach the top of the ladder and you're praising his name and you take your gaze off yourself and your issues, no matter how real they are and how real they seem and you keep your gaze on God. And the Psalms in this way just are the pastoral balm to our soul. They're like the ointment on a throbbing wound or a blistering burn. And sometimes the outcome is simply miraculous. And sometimes the condition doesn't alter, but you get a deep sense of the presence of God. And sometimes you realise your problems may have been self-perception, or you realise you might be being forged or refined, or you realise you might be being strengthened to deal with them, or you may be strengthened so you can use your trials to help others. In my case, I received a very deep lesson in humility and maturity that bore fruit a decade later. But there's a second point I want to make to you, that this is not a magic formula. I don't want to give you the impression that this is some sort of, you know, potion that you can use when life gets tough in an automatic fashion. I'm not suggesting that you should tick it all off, like you've got a problem, complain to God, tick. (coughs) uh, Cry out to God, tick. uh, Praise God. Tick, problem sorted. Or like some sort of potion or cake that you're baking, crack in two eggs, stir in 500 mils of Psalm 13, drink before you go to bed, have a good night, and voila, voila, it's all good in the morning. <clears throat> no, the blessing comes when the godly perspective becomes your way of life. You see, Jesus didn't have a lament checklist on the cross. Jesus used those words, and they flowed out of him because the Psalms... Welled up in him. <clears throat> and that would be apart from anything else what I would urge upon you. Uh, it's, it's like sportsmen talk about muscle memory. You know, muscle memory is when you do an action even without thinking. <clears throat> Long time ago, <laughs> hundreds of years ago now, I used to play a lot of cricket, a lot of cricket at a reasonable level. <clears throat> and if you're trying to play a hook shot, for instance, you're, you're, you're batting up here, <clears throat> okay? And the bowler comes down and he drops the ball short And if he's a quick bowler, a really quick bowler, if he's bowling at, say, 150k, which is pretty quick, Mitchell Stark goes that fast, uh, you've got a fraction of a second to do it just about half a second, and what, you, what you're doing is you, uh, the ball comes in, you make the decision you're going to have a hook shot, you put your head inside because you don't want it smashing you see, so it's going to go past your ear, and then you come and you pivot and you pull it over like that. Now, if you're playing T20, you can do 101 other crazy things, but I'm just telling you what we used to do back in the day. <coughs> but the thing is, if there is no muscle memory, you know, if that practice doesn't happen, okay, then your block gets knocked off. That's simple. If you're a boxer and Alexander Usyk throws a left hook at you, I have no idea what you would do if, if that guy threw a punch at you. But if you are a boxer and you are in the ring with him and you were trained as a boxer, muscle memory would kick in in some way, and you'd jab, and you'd faint, and you'd uh, dodge, or you'd weave. And if you don't, and you've got a fraction of a second, Oleg will put you down. And what's worse, or what's funnier, Oleg will be praising the Lord Jesus as he does it. (laughs) Because Oleg is a believer. He He is a Ukrainian Orthodox Christian. And after one of his fights against somebody called Anthony Joshua, he said in an interview, the only thing I wanted to do with this fight is to give praise to my Lord Jesus Christ and to say that it all comes from him. (laughs) Bang! (laughs) Well, let the Psalms give you your spiritual muscle memory. And my prayer is that you will have the Psalms within you so they will become part of you. They are the great pastoral book of the Bible and they will nourish your soul. So it may be here, you're here today, and none of this really applies <clears throat> because life is basically good. Uh, you've had your share of issues, but they're not very large. They're just hic- hiccups along the way of a very good life. And if that's you, praise God. It might be that in an, the words of another psalm, the boundary lines have fallen for you in very pleasant places. <clears throat> and amen to that. Well, you can, there is another class of psalms that you can use. And they're the psalms of thanksgiving. And they're rather similar. They just start from a slightly different place. In these, you reflect on the blessings of God. You don't take them for granted. You acknowledge that those blessings are his and his alone. And you give thanks and praise to him for his goodness and mercy and sustenance and his salvation. You finish in the same place. And I want to finish today with a voice from the grave. The person I'm going to show you in a moment is a lady called Rhonda. Rhonda. Two years ago, just about now, Rhonda died, just after 70. Just after 70 uh, I'd known Rhonda, and Helen had known Rhonda for 50 years. <coughs> uh, she was a committed Christian. She was the wife of an evangelist. She was the deputy principal of a Christian school. She retired in her late 60s and was looking forward to travelling in his evangelistic endeavours with her husband. She wanted to see more of the grandchildren, but she was struck down by an untreatable cancer, and after two years she succumbed, just a day or so after her 70th birthday. <clears throat> she recorded her testimony in, for posterity. And I just wanted to play you a little clip in a fraction of a, a moment, but I want you to know she's wearing a wig. She's looking all right, but she's wearing a wig. She was in suffering uh, and, she, she, uh, and she couldn't walk. Uh, She was in wheelchairs and oxygen machines and all of that off off the set. So just have a look at Rhonda's little testimony.
0: Well, when I was first diagnosed, friends, of course, at school and everyone else asked, what can we pray for you for? And um, I said, well, for healing, because that's biblical and we're told to do that. and, And that's obviously a first step. The second one, though, that came to me was for peace of mind. And there was a reason it came to me. And that is that I had a very, very good friend some many years ago now, who was head of mathematics at ICS, Jenny Buchanan. Some of you would know her name. Um, And she was diagnosed with breast cancer that ultimately took her life. And she said at the time, something that stuck in my brain. And it's one of the advantages of long-term Christian friends and iron sharpening iron. Um, And it was this, she said, I know that God is in charge. He's sovereign. I know that he is good. Now, she knew that out of a long-term relationship with God. I know he loves me, and she knew that because of Jesus and what he'd done for her. And nothing else matters, no matter what. So God is in charge. God is good. God is sovereign. God loves me no matter what. And so that came to my mind from, like, 15, 20 years ago. Um, when people said what to pray for and so I, I said pray for peace of mind um, and it was only because of her, her story that I remember
1: that I think and to ask for that. <clears throat> I know that God is in charge. I know that God is good. I know that God loves me and that's all that matters. <clears throat> you see... This side of eternity, we may never know what painful thing, why painful things happen. For me, I was stripped of arrogance. I was taught patience. I was schooled in humility. I was taught hum- maturity. And in Rhonda's case, I don't know why a godly Christian woman, and she was a godly Christian woman, was taken from us, from her family, from a church, uh, and, and the way she was. But for her, God is good. God loved her, God was in control, and that was all that mattered for her. You see, when you lament, you climb to the top of the ladder and you express your praise and your confidence in God. But not just in God, but in your saving, loving, merciful, delivering God. So whether today you're in a deep, deep pit or whether you're in a mountaintop, whether you feel that God is close to you or whether you feel that God is a long way off, you both end up in the same place, praising the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as this psalm concludes with praise, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Amen?